virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a Leicester have a trophy already, beating Manchester City at Wembley just to put to one side for a minute what happened against Villarreal. We've got a full season preview along with our man Rob Hayes who's gone behind the scenes at Wolves. All this and much more on For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me is Rob Hayes for this 2021-2022 season preview slash look back at what happened in the pre-season Charity Shield, Community Shield and preview of the Wolves game slash the whole season and anything else. Catchy title, Rob. We're going to do very well to roll this into an hour or an hour and a little bit, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We're better not just hanging around talking about nonsense like a catchy title like that. So, um, let's go straight into the bad bit for as small amount of time as possible because we horrendous what happened to um, Wesley Fofana. He's had surgery today at the time of recording. He's very good on Instagram uh, he posts a lot of pictures, but it's quite then easy to follow his progress of what happens regarding the timeline of of actually being mended. I suppose this is the best way. Um, having his leg put back together would be another way. So he's just had his operation. When it first happened, I, I straight away went, he's going to do very well to play again this season. And it looks like that's pretty much going to be the case because there's ligament damage, etc. But it was... A, it was Terrible, absolutely terrible. And when when people say the guy got the ball, ah, oh, it's one of the most, it's one of the worst sayings in football now. I think I used to be in the camp of when there was a strong tackle made, not breaking someone's leg, but a, a tough tackle that cleanly won the ball, but also took out the man as well. And I know there'll be a lot of people maybe disagree with me on that. I I was yeah, he got the ball. You know, good challenge, good strong challenge. The game's kind of half moved on now, I think, where if there is a really strong challenge and even if they they flush the ball but completely clean out the guy, sometimes it just goes over the top. But this was different to that kind of argument. This was such a needless tackle. And that's the main point. It was needless. You're 3-0 down, even though results don't really matter pre-season. 3-0 down in a friendly and you go and scissor tackle a player who you're trying to get back for revenge because he's um, accidentally stood on the back of your, your foot a few minutes ago. And a dis- it's just a complete disgrace. It's a disgrace from him. It was a disgrace from the manager for keeping him on the field straight away, how he didn't take him off for his own safety, say, because uh, there could have been all sorts of tackles flying in. And it was just a bad look from Villarreal all round. And it was... Terrible from the referee who let things go in the first half and was very weak, completely weak, I thought. Uh, Matt Donoghue, only a championship ref and from the Football League as well, further down. So you really needed a stronger referee. And 
we've now lost one of our best players for the entire season. There is plenty of chat to talk about how we're going to replace him and this and the other, but it's terrible for him. But overall, just a, a horrible incident that shouldn't have happened, but the reaction afterwards was just as bad. Yeah, there are lots of things wrong with it. What you want from a pre-season friendly is is plenty of competition. You want it to be competitive. You, uh, maybe the first few weeks, the first few games against like Burton, QPR and that, you don't mind it being a little bit passive. Um, it's just sort of to get some minutes in the legs. But by the time you're coming round to, uh, what, three, four days before the Community Shield, uh, week and a half before the Premier League season starts, and you want a competitive game, absolutely you do. But you also want a game where you're going to be coming out of it unscathed. And if it's a, an accidental uh, injury or, you know, like Andy Robertson for Liverpool's gone over on his ankle, it's bad luck. It's it's frustrating, but it is just one of those things with, with professional sport that injuries do happen. But when it happens in that manner, it's even more frustrating now obviously as as Leicester City supporters we're looking forward to seeing Wesley Fofana continue to develop and get essentially another full season under his belt um, and he's only going to get better and better and better and also from a, a perspective of, of looking at the team overall still an area where we uh, on this podcast have said that throughout the summer we were um, hoping to be linked with another centre-back to supplement those that we already have. So from a team perspective, to lose him uh, is is even more gutting. It's petulant from the Villarreal player. I can't even remember his name, and I don't really want to know his name, to be perfectly honest with you. It's um, it's completely unnecessary, and he's just lost his head, really. And, and you know, if, if he thought about it and thought, right, if I'm playing in a pre-season friendly... The last thing I would want is somebody tackling me like that because there was really nowhere for Fafana's leg to go and and that was because of the nature of the challenge. I, Pete, play centre-back at a very amateur local level and I'm annoyed sometimes if I've put in slightly uh, a forceful challenge that's clearly won the ball but got a little bit of the man first. But I totally understand what you're saying there is in it, it, this kind of tackle it can't it it shouldn't be um well obviously it wasn't allowed but it sh- it shouldn't be something that a player is attempting these days because of the severity of the risk of injury there you know if he goes into slide and and both of his legs come around one side of Fafana f- absolutely fine no problem with that but it's the fact that he's he's it is a scissor challenge where everything he's, he's sort of gathered everything legs ball the lot it's just a ridiculous challenge to put in and you're right about the level of refereeing because I think generally what we saw at the Euros and what the sort of instruction is to Premier League referees this year uh, this upcoming season is to to let a few more things go at least initially uh, and see how things pan out over the next few phases of play whatever Um, but also don't sort of set your stall out early by giving early free kicks and early bookings that then make it a really stop-start petty game. I'm all for that because I think... But but I think the Euros were refereed very, very well, by and large. And it's nice to see committed players making strong challenges 
and not being penalised for the odd sort of little finger grazing somebody's shoulder that makes them automatically fall over. I like it, but you've got to sort of, you've got to understand the context of the game and you as the referee have still got to make sure that you are totally in control and you see it sometimes um, in games usually with a lot more riding on them than Leicester versus Villarreal. You see, if you let a couple go that aggravate the opposition, then you know that the opposition are going to come back with something. Uh, One as a revenge and two to see if they can get away with it as well. And then it spirals out of control very quickly. I'm not saying that Leicester versus Villarreal got completely out of control, but that was a factor in it as well. So There were so many things that could have been done to prevent it. uh, And it's just, it's on a personal level for Fafana, very frustrating and as a Leicester City supporter as well really a real downer before the start of the season yeah it was it was completely unnecessary for me terrible tackle no no control whatsoever it's all very well making a forceful tackle when you're say side on or when you're um when you're face to face but flying in like that it's terrible it reminds me is it Bobo Balde broke um Wazlowski's leg. I think that happened in in a preseason game. A terrible tackle, and we all know about Johan Bellerawan and his flying tackle, which uh, thankfully never made contact with anyone. At uh, was it at Burton, wasn't it? And then uh, and then Shakespeare took him off straight away. That was what should have happened there, and it just terrible all round. But we move on again. Start on a downer. Uh, the game itself, I thought Leicester were exceptional. I thought they were excellent. Again, against an excellent side, they've moved the ball very well. And it was great to see the likes of Barnes playing well, playing as well, but but also just straight away back to his best. I know his injury was slightly different to others because it was a, a long-standing problem which was then aggregated, uh, aggravated on the field and then obviously we had to have the, the operations, etc. But again, the rest of the side, you know, bleeding in the the new signings as well. They look like they've just slotted in really well. Uh, Ryan Bertrand, a sort of player who everyone knows, but then when he actually turns up, you go, oh yeah, that that that's the guy, isn't it? You know, and he looks like he's he's slotted in straight away and looks pretty much to be first team player as well. Um, overall, I thought it was an excellent game. And then, obviously, what happened, happened. And then we move on to the Community Shield against Manchester City, which was signposted very early as being a weakened Manchester City side with injuries, with players who have gone deep into Euro 2020 not being involved at all. Um, Maybe one or two then of the players who would would be perceived first-team players, Jack Grealish being one of them, being on the bench. So it was a real opportunity for Leicester to take hold of the game early, which I thought they did, even though we were playing our first team against a perceived reserve side of Manchester City. But to beat them still at any point in any game, in any tournament, at any time, is still a very, very good achievement. It really is. And again, I thought Leicester were pretty, pretty good on Saturday. Pretty good. It was... Maybe not as fluent. It was at, at, at times. Uh, but it was the parts of the game when you're playing against Man City that you have to excel in to get a result. They excelled. Uh, Almaty coming into the back line alongside Sonchu. I thought he was excellent. I thought he was man of the match. Um, 
is he going to be the replacement for Wesley Fafana? Probably not, and we'll mention that in a minute. But overall, I thought the side was great. Schmeichel in goal. And again, the, the back line, you can have individual performances, but when you change the back line, and when you lose a player like we did with Little Wes, that can upset the apple cart. And it didn't look like that at all. It looked like they were solid. They knew what they were doing. And it was almost the off-the-ball aspect of uh, Daniel Amati's game, which was satisfying to see. We, I still think, and everyone says he's best in a back three. I, I don't think that's the case. I generally think he's he is a just a, a centre-half. He can do a job elsewhere. But I just think he's just a basic centre-half who is at the club, everyone likes him, and he knows he's not first team and he won't he will never be but he's a good useful squad member and i just like him as a center half so there's options either side to in case there's an error which of course any player can make but i just think you stick him in at center half and get him to head everything out get him to get in the way bit like bit like Wes Morgan Wes Morgan was a player who you would never, you would never say he would excel in a back three. He was always in a back two, and you can, if you're the fullback on his side or you're the other centre half, you know what Wes was like, and you know what his pace was like. So maybe you just slightly adapt your game. Maybe that's the case with Armatis. I just think as a centre half, he's fine as a as a to plug a hole if we need him for for an occasion. And this was the occasion we needed him, and he played really well, and. Very happy for him, but I don't think he's the long-term answer for that position at all. Uh, and then we got the goal late on, you know, an obvious foul, and, and the penalty was taken, and we and we won the game. But again, good to see the likes of Barnes running, playing well. Um, Vardy looked quite sharp as well. He could do with a goal. Uh, it, very interesting with Vardy. What what would happen at the start um, when we're going to the season preview with Vardy? Um, also. KDH looking excellent, and again, the new signings coming on. And when Leicester made those changes, when they made the six or seven changes in the space of a few minutes, wasn't it great to see those calibre of players coming on? Sumare, um, Daka, obviously KDH as well. Uh, Thomas coming on and, and, and looking like he's stepped forward physically as well. And... It it just looked really good, didn't it? And 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 look, you kind of I nodded my head watching that, going, "Yes, that looks like a very very good squad we've got now." It's all very well you bringing on your hundred million pound player and all that sort of thing, but we've just made seven changes, and arguably the team hasn't decreased in quality. Yeah, because we haven't got rid of anybody this summer that we wanted to keep. You know, we've been a you know things might still change between now and the end of the transfer window. Of course they might, but as it stands. We've got the squad that did really, really well last season. And we've added quality players in three different positions. We've added a quality defender, Premier League for for virtually his entire career, uh, international previously. You've added Samari, who was part of a team that won the French top flight last season. You've added him in centre mid. And then you've added Dakar, the goal machine, up front so there's quality in all three positions there and no real exits of any note from the club and that's a a signal of of the progress that Leicester will continue to make because then when you consider the fact that Ricardo is 
back. Let's be perfectly honest, back in the last season, it was almost like his kind of pre-season get him feeling his way back into the game. He was never quite up to speed. He looked, I won't say a shadow of his former self, because he wasn't that bad, but he was certainly not reaching the heights that he that he did when he won uh, player of the season in his first season at Leicester. He's looked superb this preseason. He hasn't he? Really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Bertrand has come straight back in to be first choice left back. I don't think that's even uh, up for debate um, now. And I... <laughs> When we talked about the three new signings had come in relatively quick succession, we did a, a podcast that sort of summarised the three of them. And he was the one that we paid the least lip service to, the one that we were probably least excited about. Uh, and he's come in and I actually probably didn't give him enough credit for how good he is. Because, uh, of course, he's he's been playing Premier League football for most of his career, as I just said. But he has slotted straight in, wearing a Leicester shirt like he's worn one for years, like he's a long-serving club left-back like Christian Fuchs of a few years ago kind of thing. He looks excellent going forward. His, his set-piece delivery is, is adding a really positive extra dimension to Leicester, isn't it? It's, it's Who knew he had a left foot of that quality? I just thought we were getting kind of a slightly better Danny Simpson just on the other side. Do you know what I mean? I was uh, Somebody who's solid knows exactly what to do in a back four in the Premier League uh, and will give you a, a solid 7 out of 10 every game. But he is overlapping. He is whipping balls in from either on the move or from from dead balls. He looks brilliant. Samari putting three, four Manchester City players on their backsides in two very short passages of play. You're not getting the ball off him anytime soon, are you? Uh, I think Rogers alluded to the fact that he probably would have liked him to have passed it a little bit earlier and not got himself in that situation. But the players were just bouncing off him. Dakar, very, very lively. Honestly... From a preseason that started with um, some very indifferent performances and results against likes of Burton and QPR, and obviously there were there were youth players in the team there, it was just sort of getting the the sort of cobwebs out and getting the cogs turning again. And I, I, I didn't read much into it at all, but preseason has uh, improved exponentially and sets us up to be very optimistic for the visit of Wolves on Saturday. The set plays are. Completely missed out Bertrand set plays there. Absolutely. It's a. I kept on saying, we both kept on saying last year regarding set plays, it was like they were trying to do the perfect set play. Like, I'm going to pinpoint this ball from this corner or free kick onto this guy's head at the near post. And if you get it slightly wrong, especially short, it's just not going to work. Um, and then the other one is I'm going to whip it in as deep as I can. And again, slight heavy connection it goes out of play just hit an area sometimes you hit an area and they they being the center halves etc who are forward will attack that area and the ball and when he whipped it in or when the free kick was taken for uh sorry injuries goal that was oh that there's an area where i can attack and hopefully the center half bosh goal it just looked a very simple um, set play, which is what I think many people have been crying out for. You know, hit an area, and when we've had people like Maguire beforehand, which I don't think we really used as as well as possible, and, and with the defenders coming forward that we've got, Soyuncu should be scoring lots more. We know about Fafana and, and, and me betting on him every game last year at silly odds, and it never happened, even though he missed an open goal. Um, and possibly with the likes of, say, Vestergaard coming in, 
it, it could be an avenue. Wait, sorry, it should be an avenue which Leicester should improve. If looking where can we improve our goal stats, set plays is a huge one at both ends of the field, in fact. Um, because it still is a little bit dicey. So, really, really good with Bertrand. I absolutely agree with you as well when it comes to the Danny Simpson quote. That's very, I thought the same. I just thought solid fullback. But um, you've got an all round player here who has just turned 32 the other day, so it's not going to be <laughs> that long term. But if you've got Thomas progressing all the time and they can interchange completely and you'd imagine someone like Bertrand with his experience, etc., will be looking at, say, Thomas and, and just passing off all the wisdom, saying, here we go, this is what you want to be doing. You're going to be playing the next game. You're going to be playing midweek or maybe we're playing against lesser opposition in the Premier League and, and I'm going to be on the bench. He knows he's not going to be playing 30-odd games this season, or, or let's say 35, 36 games this season. He's going to be in the late 20s because of, even if he's first team, just because of his age, etc., and the amount of games, hopefully, Leicester will play. Uh, Ricardo, yeah, back to his best, it looks. He looks like he's got his confidence back, as well as his sharpness. It looks like he's he was going in for tackles, he was confident about cutting inside, and just fingers crossed he can be the player that we has. And again, when you look at Wes's injury, you know, you, you just wonder how long it's taken for him to come back and, and to be that player. Um, hopefully it's not the case with him. Uh, you've still got JJ to come back as well. And, uh, and and the rest of the players, someone like Samare, the two new signings, Samare and Daka, it's going to take them a quite a while uh, to fully embed themselves in into the Leicester squad and into and in around the first team from off the bench, you'd imagine. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't. Hopefully, they come on and they are just straight up to speed with Premier League football, um, mentally really, rather than physically, because it looks like Daka's probably the fastest player, <laughs> player on earth. But... Uh, uh, and also, hopefully that's still the case, because if they are playing regularly, it means that more than likely something's happened to one of the first-teamers, which we don't exactly want. Uh, so, yeah, really, really promising, very promising, with that big, uh, you know, exclamation mark around um, around Little Wes. But we'll, we'll just talk about, Rob, his replacement, because... You hinted earlier about what we mentioned before. They were looking for a centre-half. They still needed... That was one area of the squad which was highlighted by Brendan Rodgers on a couple of occasions uh, pre-season as an area that they need to bring in and fairly obvious to Leicester fans as well, especially if they're going to be playing the back three on occasion. They need a centre-half. Okay, now everyone's going to have their own kind of opinion. There's been lots of names banded around. There's um, Gary Cahill on loan, possibly. There's uh, Vestergaard from from Southampton. That's been very heavily linked in the last, say, 24 hours or so. James Tarkovsky from Burnley. We know Leicester have had a link there for the last couple of years. It might be a, a few quid more than they want to spend. I would like to see... I don't think I would like to see a, a loan signing. That's not what I want. I don't think... I, this gap for me is a seasoned gap, okay? you got to take it that Wesley Fofana is not going to play this season. So if that's the case, Leicester are going to need to buy a first-team centre-half because who knows how long Evans is going to be out for. And again, Johnny Evans is not going to play every single game this season. Never in a million years is that the case, okay? So you need to have a first-team centre-half at the football club. Now... That needs to be someone, in my opinion, that 
can come straight in and play Saturday. Maybe it's not the case if they buy a guy and he, he might be on the bench, but that ilk of player. He's had pre-season. He's more than likely had Premier League experience. Um, I do not think age is a problem. So if you're looking at someone in their late 20s going, well, do you know what? That doesn't quite fit the mould of a Leicester signing. You can sign free transfers in their 30s like Bertrand, but that's a very rare thing for Leicester. Or more than likely we buy a younger player. I don't think that's the case here. I think needs must. And I would like them to go for James Tarkovsky. First of all, it's a player that they've identified over the last few years as a player that would fit in at Leicester. I think you're buying a, a ready-made centre-half, again, who could come in and play Saturday, no problem. Um, good player, uh, can play with the ball at his feet as well, and I think he just fits. I think he fits. Now, cost-wise, you've got a guy, what, in his last year of his contract, he's going to cost a few quid because Burnley are not going to sell one of their first-choice centre-halves on the eve of a season for, for, for cheap. Uh but I just think it's needs must. And if they want twenty five million for him or twenty million or whatever, then I I think it is just get get him. And if it means selling Dennis Pratt, Hamza Chowdhury, maybe Mendy or or get rid of one extra player in the squad, uh then so be it. That's the guy I'd like. If they get Vestergaard because of the Schmeichel link, not a problem. The height thing would be excellent for Leicester. Defending and attacking. Okay, I think he would be a good signing, especially in the back two. Not necessarily in the back three, but in the back two. I think someone like Soyuncu would look at him and go, excellent, excellent. Uh, so if, if, if we end up buying him for, what, 15 million quid or so, not a problem. Tarkovsky would be my first choice. I'd go Vestergaard second, but... I'd be very disappointed if we don't get any of those two. If we bring someone else in from abroad uh, or just another player that's not been linked as yet, they still those those still happen. By the way, the Danny Ing signing for Villa just happened like that. No one there was no link at all. If we bring someone else in, then okay, but I, it needs to be a first team ready player because you cannot play Daniel Armati at centre half as a first-team Leicester player going into a season. We know he had a great game against Man City. If he needs to play against Wolves, and more than likely he's going to play against Wolves, then OK. But you can't have him as your other centre-half because Evans might not play for another month or so. So that's where I stand on the signing. Centre-half, first-team player, Premier League experience. That's That's my list. I seem to remember sitting and doing last season's preview podcast uh, and making an outrageous claim for Daniel Amati as player of the season. And he actually played a lot more than we expected him to. So here we go. Leicester are going to fail to sign a centre-back this summer, Daniel Amati for player of the season. That's, oh my God. Uh, clearly not my actual, not clearly not my actual take on things. Uh, yeah, absolutely fine for him to start against Wolves on Saturday, no problem. Um, if you want to be a team that Really, for the psychology of the team and Brendan Rodgers, I think this this Leicester team needs to be a team that finishes fourth this season. From a supporter's point of view, I would be delighted to to qualify for Europe again. And I think that's sort of the loose um, season target that they've set themselves. But can you really miss out on the top four for a third season running and keep 
players like Madison, Tielemans, etc. I don't know. Um, that that's a, a conversation for another time. But Daniel Amati starting and 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 not and, and being your first choice centre back does not scream of a team that wants to finish in the, or is capable of finishing in the top four. I totally agree with you. He is what Brendan Rodgers has described uh, in the last few days as as a proper team player. He said he's just. He's really good to have around the place. He works hard in training. He will do absolutely anything for anybody uh, and will play wherever you ask him to play for Leicester. Look at it. He's played right back, right centre back of a three and then right centre back of a two uh, in the community shield. And we know his limitations, but he's the kind of player that you want around your squad because he can plug so many gaps. And... He's never really let us down, has he? Let's be honest, he's never set the world alight and he's never quite um, reached the levels that we possibly hoped he would when he when he came to the club because, you know, he was playing centre mid in the Belgian league and there were videos of him running the length of the pitch in about three seconds with the ball. It, it was His physicality was, was ridiculous. He's had a lot of injury problems at Leicester and I think he probably... The relationship that he has with the club and vice versa is, is probably the reason that he's still here. Leicester have looked after him. Contractually, they're obliged to, obviously, if he picks up an injury. But uh, he is clearly giving a lot back to the team. So he's great to have around, but he's not the person you want as your first-choice centre-back every week. I think Rodgers has said uh, what what we would echo in, in the sense that we would want somebody to come in now with Premier League experience. You're absolutely right again, Pete. This is not the time that you sign another Wesley Fofana um, because you've got him to come back, probably not this season, but to come back. You've got Suyuncu, who is 23, 20, 24, I think now, and really still developing. He, he is um, a fantastic player. But, you know, if you looked at him and Fafana, you would probably say that they're at similar stages of development, whereas Fafana's four years younger. So I think there's probably still a little bit more to come from Suyuncu, and he's going to benefit loads from having a, a, a more experienced partner next to him. I think if... Evans' foot injury continues to to be a, a recurring problem, and let's say Fafana hadn't broken his leg, there would still be elements of doubt in my mind about starting Suyuncu and Fafana every single week because 24 is still young for a centre back, and 20 is obviously very young for a centre back, and it would be nice for Suyuncu to have uh, an experienced, dominant centre back with him. Tarkovsky is a great shout, of course, been linked with Leicester for probably years now. Uh, Vestergaard was linked in previous windows as well, I think, for Leicester. Um, Kabak's a name that's been mentioned. Does he count as having Premier League experience when he was very hit and miss on a, in a short-term spell at Liverpool? I don't know. Uh, Gary Cahill, you know, it doesn't really... It, it sounds a bit more of a desperate signing, that one, but it, it depends on what financial clout Leicester have still got left. Uh, De Vrij from Inter Milan was was one that was linked in the aftermath of Fafana's injury. Uh, some kind of double deal, him and Brozovic coming in apparently has, has surfaced from somewhere. And, you know, De Vrij is an experienced top-level centre-back, international centre-back. Um, so, you know, that would, that would be a, a reasonable sort of slightly outside-of-the-box signing. But it, it does need to be somebody that, that, that can come in and and start straight away, really. Because it's clear, again, if you're starting a Marty in the Community Shield ahead of Benkovic, it's clear to me that Rogers still doesn't think Benkovic is ready 
Uh, and you've got to say on balance now with his age uh, and the failed loan spells that he's had at three previous clubs that this is not the level for him. And I would be, I think they'll probably keep him on for a bit just to cover the fact that Evans might not make an instant return and then if Amati gets injured or something, then you're in trouble. But he's not a Premier League footballer and I don't think now that he's he's going to make that cut. So it's a difficult one because if we're talking about looking ahead to the season and you're looking at exactly what you said about the substitutions that were made during the Community Shield match, um, the the players and the strength and depth you've got in virtually every other position is excellent. You've got Bertrand and Thomas, very interchangeable on their left-hand side, at different ends of their career, but offer um, a similar level, really. You've got Ricardo and then Castagna and Justin to come back to play on the right-hand side, Ricardo back to an excellent level. You've got in central midfield and Didi and Tielemans, and then you've got Samare, Chowdhury, Pratt, Mendy, lots of options in there. Six midfielders for two spaces, really, haven't you? You've got uh, Madison in the in the number ten role, uh, and we've seen that Leicester were interchanging that with a two man strike force last season. So you know you've got Dakari and Acho Vardy in that sort of area, uh, and then you've got Barnes and Perez. So I think Leicester are light at centre back and light on the wing. Uh, and that's that's two signings away from me sitting here and confidently saying we can make top four. You mentioned one player there towards the end, and um, and that's uh, Kelechi Inacho, who scored the penalty and had an amazing run at the end of last season. If Leicester are played in the back four, where where would he come in? Because your lone striker is Jamie Vardy, or more than likely Pats and Dacca because of his skill sets. Now, if you then play Kelechi in a two, which worked fantastically last season, where, how does that work? Because you've got a back four, you've got the pivot of the two midfielders, Yuri Tielemans and Wilfred Ndidi, then you have three behind the one. Harvey Barnes is a first-team player. He's going to be playing, more than likely, on the left. On the right is is the 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 area which many people will look at and go well. There's there's slight weakness there, which Iosi Perez more than likely will be there. And then the guy in the middle is going to be the number ten, which is James Madison if he's fit. So that's that's a, a scenario which is intriguing to see how they can work it out. The obvious thing for me would be to move Madison to the right because you're not playing with a he's not an out and out winger. But then again, Iosi Perez isn't an out winger. He's not playing that wide. Of course, Harvey Barnes is on the left. That's fine. So you can move Madison and then have the two forwards. That's not a problem because Kelechi naturally is just slightly deeper. And that, that, that could work. It does leave a bit of a space in between those and, and say, Yuri Tillemans in the middle. But that's where Madison would probably fill from that right side. Uh, of course, then you've got the, the bombing on fullback Ricardo on the right. So that's, that, that could work. And I'd imagine that's roughly how uh, Brendan Rodgers would like to go if they were going, not ultra-attack, but attack-minded. He would always like to have Perez there because then he can come back into midfield and help out there. But uh, yeah, it's it's um, Kabak at centre-half. The relationship there between him and Soyuncu would be a big plus point. Plus, you'd be able to buy him for 
under £10 million because of the fire sales going on at Schalke. Someone like Cahill, I, I that's a no. If they if Gary Cahill turns up holding the Leicester shirt on a one year deal, that would have to be alongside the first team signing. So if there's two signings at one go, this guy's coming in just in case. Gary Cahill, he he stands there and goes, look, I know I'm not going to be first team, but you know cup competitions etc. Europe, this that and the other. Fine, okay, no problem. But it needs to be alongside that first team centre-half signing because you can't just buy him and go, right, here you go, first team football at Leicester in the Premier League. That It just doesn't, that doesn't happen for me. And if it does, there will be, you know, quite a few alarm bells uh, ringing. I think it's going to be quite a, an interesting final few weeks of the, when the transfer window actually ends, but when the transfer window finishes, it's. I think there's going to be plenty happening at Leicester both ways. We've still loads of players going out on loan. Uh, today, it looks like that uh, Rashid Gazelle who's been involved in pre-season, he's going to Besiktas for four million quid, three million quid, something like that. So he's eventually making that signing permanent, which I think is just a good thing all round. And I think there will be players leaving the door. One player who's been heavily linked is James Madison. And a lot of it is more than likely complete bobbins and nonsense. I think when you look at someone like Arsenal and go, well, you've just bought someone for 50 million quid, are you actually going to go out and spend 60, 70 million quid on another player? Have they got those those sorts of funds? It's uh, more than likely not, hence the, all the links we've thrown in players left, right and centre from Arsenal. Now, whether Brendan Rodgers looks at some of those players and goes, well, you know, we we could maybe do something with that player or whatever, then... We'll wait and see. I've always stood by the fact that if someone came in and offered, say, 70-odd million quid for James Madison, I wouldn't be too unhappy if that he went for that sort of money. Knowing what Leicester can do in the transfer market with that sort of cash. Now, the longer that goes to... Sorry, the shorter the amount of time is before the end of the transfer window, the less likely then Leicester will be able to then really plan and sign someone with that cash. Uh, so the longer it goes on, the more I'm saying stay James Madison at Leicester. You never want to lose one of your better players. We've already lost one, not through transfer, through injury. So you don't want to then lose another player. Um, so the more we get towards the start of the season, I would like him to stay. But again, as we're speaking right now, and with the issues at centre-half, let's just say by the end of this podcast, Rob, if Arsenal came in with 70 million quid, here's 70 million quid, bosh, James Madison. I would say take it, go and buy Tarkovsky with it, and with them got a, a massive healthy profit on a, a good player who's had his issues at Leicester uh, on and off the field, and we can then reinvest, or still there's time to maybe go and buy that winger who we could use um, and then maybe move Perez in the centre, whatever. That's where I stand on Madison. If the offer came in now, I'd say yes. If not, not a problem, he stays. The problem for me is which James Madison are you selling? Because if you're selling the one that was in superb form just before Christmas, then he, he'd be the kind of player that you would say we want to keep because he's clearly... At the top of his game, he's creating chances, he's scoring goals. He's the kind of player that can propel Leicester 
into the top four. But if it's the James Madison that, that then for the next 10, 15 games, whatever, fails to contribute very much, looks very lightweight and doesn't really offer an awful lot to the team, then you'd snap somebody's hands off for £70 million. You know, Brendan Rodgers will know better than anybody what level he thinks is more realistic for Madison to be able to continue to reach. Was it? Uh, are the glimpses of, of real, real quality that we've seen so far, is it is it likely that they are going to be more and more often? Uh, and he's just still sort of on his way there. If so, you keep him. But if those are glimpses of effectiveness that are going to continue to be sporadic and he's going to sort of be in it on it for 10, 15 games and then off it for 10, 15 games, then I'd accept 70 million for him, something like 60, 70 million. Timing-wise right now, it's probably a little bit awkward. However, and I'm not saying Jewsbury Hall coming back is a direct replacement for, for Madison, but... I failed to mention him when I listed this, when I listed six central midfielders at the club. So it's it's actually seven, uh, and yes, you know Chowdhury, Pratt, and Mendy are very much on the on the periphery, and they would not get into anybody's first eleven if you're picking the strongest Leicester side. But they've all got something slightly different about them. You know, Pratt was used in a number ten role quite a lot last season uh, in the early stages. Uh, Jewsbury Hall played there and on the right-hand side against uh, Man City in the Community Shield. He's, we know he's got an eye for a pass. We know technically he's very good. He's not going to play all 38 games of a Premier League season. Yeah, he's not. He's, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't seem quite ready for that. But if Samari comes through as somebody that can start week in, week out, you could start possibly with him and Ndidi in central midfield and Tielemans... 15, 20 yards further forward. You're right that Perez can come in from the right-hand side and then it might be a case that you possibly look at, at going back to the wing-backs but, uh, so that so that Ricardo can can make the movement down the right-hand side. But then that all hinges on having three quality centre-halves fit. We did see occasionally uh, Ricardo and Castagna play right back and right wing and interchange in that position. That's a, that's a possibility uh, as well, which would be another thing that would allow you to move Perez inside. The problem I'd have with moving Perez inside is that I find him even more ineffective than, than Madison on one of his ineffective days. I, I just don't see Perez as being in Leicester's strongest eleven. if you named them based on players. If you weren't concerned about formation and you named Leicester's best 11 players, in my mind, he's nowhere near that. But when you're fitting them all together on a tactics board, he's kind of, he's kind of got to play because you've got no other choice on the right-hand side. What you said about Madison maybe moving across to the, to the right to facilitate two up front, I think I would prefer to see him moved over to the left so that he can come inside on his on his right, but then you force, basically, you force Harvey Barnes to then be playing on the right-hand side and having to go the long way around his man and get into the byline, because, I I mean, Harvey Barnes has hit a few with his left foot, but he's he's predominantly a right-footed player. Uh, And Madison, really, if he plays on the right, yes, you've got Ricardo coming on the overlap, but he's never going to beat anybody on the outside, whereas Barnes could. Uh, But then you start to put people in places where they're not quite 
wanting to be. So it, it is a difficult one, really. Uh, but I think if Madison went, it wouldn't be catastrophic for Leicester because they have proven a, a, a lot of times last season. I mean, Ian Atro finished as top goal scorer at Leicester City last season, playing predominantly in a two. So Leicester can clearly find the formation and the shape that works with that. And he got game time because Madison wasn't getting game time, really. That You know, there were a number of other factors, but that was one of the big ones. So it wouldn't be that much of an, of an issue, but it is a bit late now, isn't it, really, to, to be losing a player for that much money. As soon as that much money goes in Leicester's bank as well, if you're in for Tarkovsky and you're negotiating with Burnley, all of a sudden he becomes more expensive. Um, it's, it's a really tricky situation to be in recording this midweek before the Premier League season starts. It always feels like these things get left, doesn't it, to the last minute? It does, it does. It's. Um, I mean, I must admit, when you mention Samare with Ndidi and then Yuri Tillemans in front of them, so slightly further forward in a, in a kind of a three, in a triangle, wow, that, that sounds really good, doesn't it? There's your... There's your wall, and and then there's your your guy who can now go right. You know what? I don't really need to look behind me anymore. I can really push forward. That looks excellent. Also, if you were to say you would have Ken Jusby Hall, who can play as a, I, I generally think he can play as a, as a number ten, but you know more of an eight. So then you could have him and. Yuri Tillemans linking together with again and Didi behind. That seems really good. You've got to remember about his age as well. Keenan Jusby Hall is, is not a, a 19-year-old lad. He's in his uh, um, early to, well, now mid-20s. You know, it really, I, I think, it, it, maybe not as a first-team regular starter straight away, but if it turns into that this season, brilliant. I, I, I don't think there's any problem with that. And physically, I think he'll be absolutely fine. More than Excel with what we've seen pre-season. He's head and shoulders above the rest physically so it's um I don't think that would be a problem at all so is yeah is the squad set up for a Madison leaving it is isn't it it really is and uh we we shall see and whether that means it's an extra five million quid for Tarkovsky or whether it means that the deal is actually cash all up front rather than say installments whatever then um I think one of the reasons as well with Tarkovsky, which I didn't realise at all until I spoke to someone at work, it turns out that Brentford have got a huge sell-on as well. It's about 30% goes to, to Brentford with uh, any sale of Tarkovsky, which I have no idea about. So hence the reason why they're probably asking for a few quid more than than what you would normally maybe expect. Um, on about uh, KDH, with, forgot about his medal, didn't he? That was nice. <laughs> He's walked past the medals. I know it's different now than what we've seen over the years with players being awarded medals, but you have to pick your own up from the tray. That was uh, that was quite funny. He had to be called back, and uh, well, hopefully it's not the uh, the first time this season that uh, he has to pick up a medal. Um, now on to really really important things. Um, what do you reckon about the away kit? On the minty one. Yeah. Fresh. Fresh. <laughs> I always I always enjoy it when you talk about kits. Fresh. You you kind of look at them. Most times we've talked about kits, you've gone, oh yeah, I'm not sure about that. It's horrible. And then six months down the line, when you've seen Leicester wearing it, you've you've be basically been down to the shop and bought several of them, um, just just so you can have one on the wall and one on and give one to your dad or whatever. Um, you know what? I like I like kits, and when the first, I like kits. <laughs> uh, 
I like I like kits, yeah. When the first kit came out uh, back in last season and it looked like they had used the most basic font and photoshopped the sponsor on the front of it, I wasn't a massive fan, but, you know, seeing it on... And and I quite like uh, I quite like it and the, and the sort of textured blue rather than a, a, a plain one I, I do quite like um, and the the minty one yeah I mean it looks in many ways more like a goalkeeper kit than an away kit but I don't I don't hate it I'm 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 fine with it what's what's your opinion I don't like it <laughs> I didn't think you no would. I, don't, I don't like it. <laughs> it it looks like a kit that other clubs have it looks like yeah, an away shirt. You look at it. You go, is that Leicester? Is it, or is it just? It could be any badge. So I know the the new sponsor doesn't really help in that, but uh, I, I don't really. No, no, I don't like it. Where's where's the gold? Where's the gold away kit? There isn't one. The third kit actually today they announced it. I think it's gonna be on Friday. Um, the third kit, and it's got. It looks like it's gonna be. Uh, Leeds United had a kit where it was like very dark, not black, but. Um, slate, dark slate, I'd say, and then with pink, so like the the logo will be pink and the the um, the badge will be pink, etc., and the stripes. Uh, I I don't mind that. That's a um, that could be a, a decent color scheme, but no, not this minty one for me. I, you know, just being a slightly traditional for a second, but we play in in royal blue, and then you have an away kit that is white. And then you have a third kit, which is yellow. Or the away kit can be yellow, and then the third kit can be white. Now, if on occasion that's going to change and be pink one season, which was ultimately very successful, I'm still not I'm not entirely sure why they haven't gone down that route after what well, was a season gap of having a, a no pink third kit. Why you wouldn't look and go, well, that was one of the best-selling kits ever at the club. Why wouldn't you just go down that? Now, I know this has got pink elements to it. Now, maybe it, it could be wrong. It could be a full pink kit again. But I, lo- I would look at that and go, do that again. Let's have that. Let's let's make a few quid. And it was a decent shirt. So, um, yeah, nah, not not for me. You look at it, you go, oh, min- minty, minty blue. Why? Is it is it that much different? No, no. Where's it, a yellow version of the home kit? I I would have thought would have been absolutely fine. That would have been up my street. But there you go. Never mind. So yeah, the third kits released on Friday. Also, um, they announced plans for the expansion of the football ground uh, of the of the football ground. The expansion of the King Power forty thousand. Uh, details to be released, I believe, on Thursday, and there will be a public consultation, so you'll be able to get down to King Power, as well as have your photo taken with the FA Cup and the Community Shield. You can go on the website and see all that sort of gubbins, and you can book your place if you want a photo with those two. And it should be good on Saturday with the FA Cup and Community Shield either paraded or they'll be obviously be on show and all that sort of thing. Um, but there'll also be plans again, I'd imagine, in and around the ground outside where of the stadium and what it's going to look like and there's going to be a, a big hotel there as well and entertainment areas and who knows what in all the land that we've known over the last couple of years that they've bought uh, you've got the memorial garden which will be central to it as well so that's exciting that is really exciting i'm looking forward to seeing the plans on what the stadium will look like uh it's it needs to happen um and yeah it that it's just mega exciting isn't it it's it's something that will hopefully be done fairly quickly and without any any real kind of um 
Any problems regarding seats? I can't imagine. It depends on what the the, the upgrade looks like, but I, I I think gone are the days where they basically take out an entire stand and you're playing games in front of just no one there. I think certain grounds obviously have their issues, but I think a ground like the KP, if you're going to stick, and all it is, I think it's just another tier on the east end by the looks of it, and then maybe it wraps around the side slightly and, and probably leaves itself options for going around behind the goals a bit more if they want to in the future. But I, I, I can't see it being a massive problem regarding seats and hopefully it gets done I'd imagine possibly in the summer or at least to the point of maybe even if it all goes through I know the timeline looking a bit uh, bit close now but I think in an ideal world maybe even start next season with the extra 10,000 seats so you know and, and, and work going on elsewhere still but those in place that could easily be the case and if so fantastic so Plenty to look forward to between now and the game against Wolves. You've got your photos taken with the trophies. You've got an expansion of the King Power being released. You've got a third kit being released. What more do we want? Signings. A centre-back, please. Centre-off. <laughs> centre-off. Um, Wolves, Saturday. First game. Uh, decent first game, it looks like, on paper. The strange side Wolves, we know what their issues were last year and I still think they're going to be in roughly the same position. I think they're a, they're a, a squad that are solid but not spectacular and the young players that they brought, and they brought in plenty of players for plenty of money over the last couple of seasons and it's just going to take a bit of time for them to progress. Uh, they've changed their manager, got another Portuguese are in and... I, I just think it's a good opening game for Leicester because they're going to be more... If you look at the Leicester side, it's very settled, isn't it? Everyone knows everyone, etc. I think they're just still trying to find themselves Wolves. And it might be the case throughout the season. Uh, a good friend of mine is a Wolves fan. And he this is roughly what he was saying. That um, they don't expect any big fireworks at the start of the season. Hopefully, the, it, it's nothing serious where they're being dragged into any kind of bother. But they're looking maybe just to progress throughout the season. So maybe finishing really well, maybe adding a few players before the transfer window. But um, at the moment, it's just kind of a look-see and just kind of keep our position, you know, kind of in mid-table. So when you compare it to like Leicester and what we are looking forward to doing in the Premier League this season, it looks like a decent, more than decent chance to get off to a good start. Quick start, early goals. Crowd, I mean, they're going to be absolutely crazy, and it's going to be it's going to be jumping the king power for for more than just the start of the new season for for reasons that we all know. Um, the added trophies as well on show. It's it's just going to be a real occasion. Birch will be out there doing his stuff. I heard on on the radio, Birch whether he's he's going to be doing it throughout the whole season or not, but he's going to do the first one. So it's going to be quite emotional and all that sort of thing. So. A real occasion on Saturday, but I can't see any reason, football-wise, why Leicester can't start with a, a decent win, a comprehensive win. I think we're going to be too sharp, too quick, hopefully. Hopefully there's no errors at the back and you know you can see the sloppy goal after being on top for half an hour. And it'll be great for Vardy to get going. Um I can't. I, I. I'm. I'm going to be really positive and go for a, a good home win. Two three nil. Good home win, and um, and JV to score because, and we'll talk about what we think for the season after we do this game. But um, 
it would be great for him to get going because if not, it could be that season that we've all been thinking for a while. But I'm going to go for a nice comprehensive home win. I think um, I think that whoever's brought at centre half, and hopefully by then we've got a new centre half or two, then um, then I think that uh, I think it still will be Daniel Armati to start. I can't see any reason why he doesn't just come in for Wesley Fofana, and I don't see any reason why they don't play the same team from the start uh, against Manchester City. You've got all the options on the bench. You've got the live wires of the new signings. It just look it's just all building up nicely isn't it and I just think you compare that to Wolves and what they've got and plenty of question marks it just points to a good home win yeah totally agree I actually commentated on Wolves last pre-season friendly on Saturday against Celta Vigo oh yeah you did didn't you yes. I did yeah yeah so I've, I've watched them firsthand. Um and the first half against Celta Vigo they were they were rubbish um and they came out in the second half. I don't know whether it was a tactical thing, but their their manager is Bruno Large, and basically he wants them to be very aggressive in their press, very hardworking, hunt the ball in packs. I didn't see any of that in the first half, to be perfectly honest with you, but they did it loads in the second half, and they looked much, much better. And I don't know whether that is a case of they intentionally started the first half more passive so that they could have the energy to, to work on it in the second half, uh, or whether they're still struggling to to implement his tactics, I don't know. Um, they're very very beatable for for Leicester, but particularly if you talk about um, the the level of performance that we've seen against Villarreal and Manchester City in the last uh, week, uh, and we were both both very pleased with how sort of preseason has has improved and improved and improved, and then you've got to say with a week on the training ground now to build up to Wolves, you'd expect Leicester to be pretty much at it from from the get-go. Wolves have got some defensive injuries and they have not got a lot of pace in their back three. Uh, and I know Nuno went for large parts of last season to a four, um, but it looks like Bruno's going to go back to a three um, and play wing-back, so sort of a 3-4-3, three, three, really. Uh, the success that Celta had against them on Saturday was in the channels, was down the sides of the back three because Roman Seiss was playing on the left side of it, Max Kilman was playing on the right side of it, Connor Cody was playing in the centre of it uh, and if we're talking about people like Wes Morgan and Robert Huth lacking pace then there's three centre-halves that are, that are exactly like that. Um, Celta had a good few opportunities from sliding it down the side of the back three. Remains to be seen whether somebody like Willy Bolly is going to be able to make it back in time for Saturday. There's question marks over that. Uh, he adds a bit more physicality to their back line. But, you know, if you play Vardy uh, and really, you know, you're expecting Barnes to be playing pretty high up for Leicester as well. You'd really, you'd want Barnes to be attacking the right-sided centre-back because if they're only playing really one wide man, then you'd hope that, say, down the left-hand side, Bertrand could could occupy. It was Hoover who started for, for Wolves. He could occupy him, allow Barnes to have a go at Max Kilman. And I'm not being funny. If you're a six-foot-four centre-half, you do not want Harvey Barnes running one-on-one -on -one at you. So I think Leicester could get some joy there. Um, 
we've seen Leicester in preseason playing the fullbacks nice and high. Uh, Bertram one side, Ricardo the other, both very good going forward. Now, Wolves played in their front three. They played Triore on the left uh, and this Barcelona lone uh, Francisco Trincao on the right. Neither of them were going with the fullbacks. Celta's fullbacks had so much of the ball, it was unbelievable. And they weren't bothered about tracking back with them. So you're going to get an overload down the sides, hopefully. And I, I just think Leicester could could blow Wolves away. And, and and I would subscribe to your theory of a two two or three goal win. Um, I also was speaking to one of the Wolves press guys who I, I went to university with. I hadn't seen him for a decade, would you believe? Saw him in the press box on the Saturday, and he said, "Look, we this is a, this is a transitional season where mid to lower mid table is is." Kind of, they're they're resigned to that to that fact. I agree with you. I don't think they're going to get dragged into relegation zone. But you're probably looking at them finishing, hopefully, eight and nine places below Leicester in the league. And I think Leicester can make that show on Saturday. I've completely forgot that you were at the uh, Wolves game. I should really have just sent you off into. Uh into what you've just been talking about. Thankfully, you've agreed with me. I've I've not spoken complete nonsense, and especially from that Wolves guy as well. Um, it just seems to be you know a fairly obvious point of view. I've read quite a few preseason previews of all sorts of publications as well, and they all generally sing off the same hymn sheet. And and when you hear Wolves fans and and more, I say more official, but then again, a, a, a fans. I, I think a fan's opinion sometimes is better than you know even people who work in the press for them. It's um. Yeah, it seems to be that that sort of season for them. But who who knows what can happen? But yeah, really positive about about Saturday. As for the season for a whole, back to Vardy, it look it looks like this. Uh, and again, Daka, who knows with any signing? But the signs are really promising. The way he took his goal against QPR and just his all round his all round game just looks well suited to. Uh, to what we need really is a number nine. Now I'm not writing Jamie Vardy off at all. I think doing that at any point in his career has been really the wrong way to go. But um, I I think this will be the one season where I'd be very surprised if Vardy, I'll be unbelievably over the moon, absolutely delighted. But I'd struggle to see Vardy getting near 20 goals. Probably because of his... Uh, reduced game time through having now natural competition for that role, which he hasn't had really. You've got last season's top goal scorer, uh, Kletchi Acho. You've got the new signing, Dakar. Um, and so because of that, I, I can't see him getting that 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 total, that that uh, mystical twenty goals. If he does, fantastic. We've had a brilliant season again. But, um. I still think Jamie Vardy is the number nine at Leicester. No problem there at all. By a distance as well. By a distance. But what you don't want is you don't want that just becoming on because of reputation. And I don't think Vardy will as well. Um, he's the number nine, and he is. And even if he goes on a early goal-scoring drought, he still should be that number nine unless the performances really do drop. Um, but what, what I'm saying, though, is that if there has at some point of the season where he's going a few games and he's just like he's just looking slightly off the pace maybe through a reoccurrence of any injuries it's not a case that Vardy has to battle on now because there are those players who can play there and again there are players who can play 
um, in behind as well. You, you mentioned all those uh, midfielders. Uh, they can we can change the formation to have added help if you want to play, say, um, Kalecci as the number nine. So there are plenty more options now at Leicester than before. So that's where I am with, with, with Vardy. Hopefully he just has a brilliant season again. He's still the main man, but he doesn't need to soldier on. You'd want Vardy to be playing in those games. You want to see him in the Europa League against big opposition later on in the tournament at the King Power. Uh, I think away from home, having someone like Dakar is a great option now away from home in the Europa League because of his record in Europe. Not just because he's played domestic football in Europe, but he's played in European competitions. So playing him up front away at wherever we get drawn against shouldn't be anything that he's not he's not done before. He's, he's probably got more experience in that than a number of Leicester players. Great. Uh, so... Elsewhere in the side, injuries barring the return of Ricardo, one or two new signings, one or two youth players coming through, one really with the KDH, the backline being sorted with one or two signings. I can't see any reason why Leicester aren't involved in the top four picture again. I generally think it's a lot more difficult this year because you have to look at the opposition and you look at how Chelsea scraped in last year. They've just got Romelu Lukaku up front. Now, it would be very difficult to look away at Romelu Lukaku and go, he's not going to score 20-plus goals. He's going to put them in the back of the net in a fashion that Werner just couldn't do last season. So, unless he gets injured, there's your 20-goal striker. No problem. I know they paid nearly 100 million quid for him Manchester United strong side they're going to be in the top four for me Manchester City obviously and Liverpool are a bit of a question mark they are a question mark whether last season's really odd season is is a just a big blip or not I think there's a big question mark there so when it comes to the top four to try and predict an entire season are they going to get it yes or no it's all very well being able to say that but you want to look a bit more closely and, and I think it, it will be very difficult for a Leicester fan to say that they're nailed on for top four. I think it's I think it'll be very difficult for a Leicester fan to say that they've got a better chance now than before. They have when you look at Leicester, but when you look at the other sides, I think it's it's a lot more difficult. I'd be surprised if they get top four, I'll say it right now. Because even though I think we're a better side and a better squad. I think that means that we'll go draws to one side deeper in the cup competitions, all three cup competitions. Now, we've won the FA Cup. We could easily go and win that again, again with decent draws, etc. Europa League is something I think they'll really want to prioritise because it's a an, a really good option of getting in the Champions League. Also, imagine getting deep into that competition, going away, going abroad with Leicester. That's exactly what I want to do. I'm not going on holiday this year, so I want to go um, and watch Leicester abroad, wherever. be fantastic. So I want to go deep into that competition. The League Cup, who knows? Again, with the draw and with the weakened sides that everyone plays, look at our reserve now. If we put a reserve XI out, it's going to be really, really strong. So I just think if you throw in the stronger squad we've got, the better side, I just think that might take the edge off what happens in the Premier League. Now, who knows? 
You might get one of those big boys really drop down. You might get a Leeds United all of a sudden by Christmas they're in second place. You you don't know. I I would be surprised if come March we're looking at Leicester as real genuine top four contenders or even inside the top four. I think we will be up there. I can't see any reason why Leicester can't be a, aren't in the top six at all. I think fifth and sixth is slap bang where Leicester pretty much are. Um, but if one of those in the top four fail, then there's no way. I can't see any reason why we aren't that side to then replace them. But you're asking me right now, I'm going to say fifth again. Um, I think would just be better than Arsenal um, and Spurs. I can't see any reason why they have are going to do better this season than last why? Arsenal, really? They've signed a centre-half. Are they going to score more goals? Well, last season, Lacazette, Lacazette's always a, he's a half-decent forward. He scored those 15 goals, 10 to 15 goals a season. Aubameyang didn't know how to kick a ball last year. Are they really going to kick on? Is Pepe going to turn into that 70-odd midnap? I can't see it. Spurs, if they lose Harry Kane, what are they going to do? Are they going to challenge top four? No, they're not, are they? So I can't see any reason why we can't finish fifth. But I'm going to go fifth. Um, and you're going to look positively. I'm just going to say that we're going to go deep in all three competitions in the Cups. In the League Cup, in the FA Cup and the Europa League. Stand here right now and go, oh yeah, we're going to win the Europa League or win the League Cup. You know, what, what are you going to say? I just think we're going to go really deep in those three. I wouldn't be surprised if it creeps up on Leicester fans that all of a sudden we're in the semi-final of the League Cup. That wouldn't be I, I, that wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world at all. Draw dependent. Uh, so yeah, I, I'll go I'll go League Cup. I can see who's going really well in the League Cup, but um, yeah, that's my that's my pre-season pick. Fifth in the league and going very well in all three cup competitions. I think we've got a very good chance of being the best of the rest. I would totally agree with your viewpoint that if you look at the Leicester squad, it's better. Uh, the strength in depth is better. The players, the, the whole squad from last season is is still together. So, you know, they've got another year of experience under their belt. But you've got to look at the um, amount of money that those other clubs have spent that will be also in the top four. Uh, and also the fact that Manchester United found ways to win football matches last season when they were being slated big time. Thomas Tuchel made a huge difference at Chelsea uh, and City and Liverpool, you really can't look past them being in the top four. It would be, I think you're right, we'll be ready and waiting to pounce on any potential slip-ups by those teams, but there is nobody else in the Premier League that I fear in terms of finishing above Leicester. So fifth fifth is what I would uh agree with as well I'd love to be an optimist and say fourth but in, until you know part of the season has panned out and we've seen exactly what level the so-called big top four are then I, I just don't think we're quite there but you, you've got to think that really we're not looking at little old Leicester anymore but we're still looking at a team that is as Brendan Rogers says fighting to to knock on that door uh, and being at the right end of uh, trophies, uh, tournaments, knockout tournaments, and and really as a as a as a supporter, that's fantastic for us to to be sitting here th- saying, oh yeah, fifth in the Premier League and and go deep into one or two cup competitions, if not all three, will be brilliant because the squad depth is better, uh, and and that will mean that then the side that you put out for those competitions is 
better. Uh, I think they'll be disappointed with the way that their Europa League campaign ended so early last season. Uh, and this represents a good opportunity to go deeper into that, particularly with somebody like Dakar, for example, who's got European experience. You, you've got to see him starting in the Europa League games uh, and scoring goals. So it's a wholly positive outlook again on the upcoming season. Uh, and it, it kind of... The Community Shield at the weekend really reminded me of, of why, as if I needed reminding of why I love being a Leicester fan, because, you know, Manchester City supporters didn't really go to that Community Shield because they were really excited to see their team at Wembley. They perhaps didn't really look at it and go, oh, a chance for some silverware, because I think they've been saturated with it and they've got a level of expectation now, which is... which takes away a lot of the excitement of watching their team. Whereas despite the fact that uh, I watched the Community Shield around a mate's house, a few of us that used to go to uh, away games many, many years ago in, you know, in the League One season, that kind of thing. Uh, and we were looking at the kind of trophies that we've won during our lifetime. And, and you know, the first trophy I can remember Leicester winning is the, uh, the League Cup in, in 97 and then again in 2000. You know, really, uh, considering we've had a good what decade of darkness in the middle of all that then you think right we won the premier league five years ago we won the fa cup last season we've just won the community shield for the first time since what 1971 it's a great time to be a leicester fan and i don't see from my point of view anyway uh, and from speaking to loads of different leicester fans family friends whatever i don't see us getting bored of it i don't see us taking it for granted i don't see us getting saturated or or i don't see too many supporters expectations getting too high i'm genuinely looking forward to a season where the prospect of finishing fifth and possibly winning a trophy like the league cup or the europa league is absolutely brilliant and i'm really excited about that and long may that continue as a leicester fan Oh yeah, you look at the scenes at Wembley on on Saturday. They were they were fantastic, and some people might turn their nose up and go, well, "It's not a proper trophy or whatever." Who cares? Players get medals. They lifting the Community Shield, something that the club's never done. They've got now the full house, and they've had the full house since since the year two thousand. How many clubs can say that they've won every single domestic trophy? Um, this well, in, in the last what twenty 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 one years since yeah two thousand for the League Cup, wasn't it? So then you throw in the Premier League, FA Cup, there you go, Community Shield, there you go. So, yeah, tremendous, absolutely tremendous. And and we don't take it for granted. I don't, I don't think anyone, I, I think you're completely right. None of us take it for granted. I'd also throw in, there's, it's very easy to poke fun of Man City fans and the lack of fans at Wembley. Come on, you know, just, just take a little bit of a backseat and go, how many of those fans probably went to Porto for the Champions League final and then went here, there and everywhere for every final and every time at Wembley, you know, come on a bit, you know, with, with, with obviously what's going on with, you know, COVID and this, that and the other and, and, um, and Wembley, what happened in the Euros and all that sort of thing. So, you know, there's the, I, I look at that and yes, it's quite, you look at it and go, it's not very good, is it? But there's a million and 12 reasons why. Uh, yes, I, I, I'm just looking forward to it. There is, and if I'm going to be ultra positive now, and why not? Let's end on a hugely positive note. Um, There is that possibility, though, 
that we could have a real start on this season. You look at the opening games, then they are very favourable for Leicester. Okay, um, in, in when you compare it, when you when you look at what it could be, and also you look at some of the clubs, and they got some nightmarish games. Whether I would have liked Leicester to maybe have had a, a more difficult start, you could you could argue that because of the way that Leicester's squad is made up and, and the amount of players that we had playing in, in Euro 2020 and some of the sides, I mean, Man City, for example, I know they're going to have a, a, a very good first team out when they play their first game. I think it's away at Spurs. But they're going to be missing a number of players. Uh, a few of the signings at United have just turned up and, you know, some of the big sides still making the signings, etc., etc. You could easily look at this season and go... It's quite easy to look at those top four clubs and go, they might start slowly because of everything that I've just mentioned and surrounding the world of football and the calendar at the moment. That's a very easy thing to say, and it could happen. And if so, which club is set up to really kind of take advantage? And you would put probably top of the tree being Leicester. So you look at Wolves at home, West Ham away, Norwich away. Then you play Man City at home, who we've just beaten in the Charity Shield, who are going to be smarting from that, but it's at the KP. You go to Brighton, you play Burnley at home, you play away at Palace. Okay, that's all until Man United at home. So those first, what, half a dozen, eight games or so, that's a decent run of games. And you could say... Quite easily, Leicester could get a bit of a jump on things here. And where we will be after those eight games? If someone says to me right now, Leicester are going to be top of the league after eight games, I would look at that fixture list and go, yeah, I see that. I see that completely. And if that's the case, who knows what could happen? Do we have then a jump on whoever's in fifth? And then whatever we thought about where we're finishing the league gets thrown out the window. Who knows? That's being ultra positive. You can look at it negatively, but we won't bother. Uh, it's uh, That could easily happen. And so be it. If that's the case, fantastic. I'm looking forward to what happens on Saturday. Looking forward to the season. It, it's great when you've just come back from, or when you've just had the Olympic Games, which w- was awesome, wasn't it? Let's just face it, what an awesome two weeks of sport. And also how they managed to get those games on, etc. Hat tip to the people who who are in charge. You know, let's let's uh, let's get it right, and hopefully the, it carries on with the powers. But um, with no fans there, it, it was just so disappointing. I mean, imagine being Japanese and living in Tokyo and not being able to go to it. Oh, come on, um, and I know it's a, it's going to be labelled left, right, and centre, and I'm slightly kind of sick of it already. But it's going to be spoken about absolutely everywhere over the next few days and especially this weekend isn't it great that fans are back isn't it great that fans are back but guess what Rob isn't it great that fans are back (laughs) I'll say it right now and I'm going to say that's that's the last time it's going to be a fabulous occasion and it's great that you'll be able to go and watch them away from home as well let alone get down the KP fantastic but that's going to wear thin over the next few days with me very very quickly But uh, it's great that we've got a proper football season ahead of us.